So I'm a little curious. How are your minds tonight? Maybe one word. Tired. 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 Mushy. Mushy. Restless. <laughs> Restless. Scattered. Scattered. Vivid. Vivid. Peaceful. Peaceful. Oh, hey. You can come up here, okay? <laughs> what else? Anybody else? Pardon? Busy. Busy. Yeah. Busy. I need some nodding heads out here. Yeah. 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 Anyone else? No. Okay. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the set, I spent the afternoon <laughs> I spent the afternoon at a meeting at Spirit Rock, except I was here and on the telephone. And um, so my mind was a little busy and tired and nobody mentioned crazed, but I think maybe crazed is in there a little bit. And so as I had thought earlier in the day, knowing that this was going to happen, I remembered um, one of my more favorite lists that I think bears repeating. And sometimes I know when I come here in the evening to give a talk, what I'm really doing is giving the talk that I need to hear. So, um, but it sounds like we all need to hear it. So we'll go for it and see what happens. So this is a talk. Um, the list is called, um, I think of it as the six places to rest the mind. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know how Sunset Magazine, some of you might know Sunset Magazine, and every now and then it comes out and it has, you know, six great vacation getaways, you know, turn to page 56 or whatever. And, and so you could think of these, this list as six places where your mind can have a bit of a vacation and can soften and relax and not soften to the point of mushiness we hear that that's not maybe so helpful but soften and relax and be a bit more at ease and a bit less busy so the six things are are the first three you would totally expect if you had been around the Buddhist world for any amount of time so that's the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha and the second three, I think, are a bit more interesting in some ways, although also reasonably predictable, maybe except for the last one. And so the fourth one is your own virtue, and then your own generosity. And then the last one is the, the devas. So the devas are these beings, you can think of them maybe as a bit like angels um, in the Western culture. And so that one is always a little bit startling. So let's, I'm just going to work my way through the list. We'll talk about them and see where it takes us. So the root of the word bud, Buddha, is bud. And that word means awake. And it's always, I think, helpful to remember that when um, the Buddha was asked quite shortly after his enlightenment experience, you know, who are you? You know, are you a man? Are you a magician? Are you a wizard? Are you this? Are you a god? Are you a deva? He said no to everything. And so the person who was asking, of course, was quite puzzled. And he said, well, well, who are you? And the Buddha said, I am awake. I am awake. So he was identifying what what his core 
being that he understood at that point, what he understood to be true about his core being, is that was it was his awakeness. And the interesting thing about awakeness, if you think about it, awakeness happens only in the present moment. You can be awake to a memory, that's true, but the actual act of being awake is always here. Sometimes it's looking, you can look ahead, but you're not really out there ahead, right? You're only having a thought about the future. Or if you're looking back, you're having a thought about the past, but the awakeness is always here. The awareness is always here and now. And what we know about things like anxiety and fear and planning and often daydreaming and all of those things is where are they? They're not here. Fear is always about something that hasn't happened yet. As my friend Jack Cornfield likes to say, you know, if the bear has you by the elbow, you're worried about what happens when he gets to your head. You know, and we, um, but when we're right in the middle of a situation, often there isn't fear there. There's just paying attention to it. The fear is always about the future. When we come back and we find out that staying here is often a very restful place. Now, if I get caught in um, one of my favorite things used to be on retreats, it wasn't my favorite, but it happened, um, was I would get going sometimes well into the retreat I'd been sitting maybe for a week or something like that and away from my family for a long time and I would often start a run of what I used to I came to call soap operas and in those soap operas usually people got injured or ill and died and usually I woke up to the fact that my mind was doing this thing about the time I got to the fact that the dog had died you know I'd my daughter had died and my husband had died and my parents had died and I would sit there on the cushion and weep and weep and weep and then the dog would come along and I'd go, oh, wait a minute, I think maybe I'm doing soap operas. And then I began to realize that, of course, I was just sitting on my cushion in a room full of people like you. And it was quiet and I was in the middle of a retreat and all of my needs were being taken care of. I had a bed to sleep in and a beautiful place often to sit and teachers who were teaching the Dharma every day. Here was fine. All of that weeping and fear and anxiety and my children and my husband and my life were out there. And we do that over and over and over again. Sometimes it's not so dramatic. Maybe it's just tomorrow. You know, tomorrow your boss or your relationship or whatever it is that's going to happen tomorrow, and the mind goes out there and starts, and we forget, oh, wait a minute, I'm still, I'm just here. Here is okay. It's a resting place. That awakeness in this very present moment. So then, what we are also awake to is what is often called the dharmas, and the way things are. Now, sometimes the word dharma means the teachings of the Buddha, and sometimes it means simply the truth. It's one of those words that has different layers of meaning. And so, 
whether you are looking deeply into the isness of a particular situation, the truth of it, so sometimes that kind of insight is something like, oh, I really am angry. Or, oh, I really am hurt. Or, or I'm really an alcoholic. That kind of truth sometimes. And those kinds of seeings can be very powerful and very freeing when we actually admit them, when we stop that round of denial that we often live in. Sometimes what we wake up to is that the Buddha or other teachers in their teachings put out a way of seeing things and understanding that maybe even we don't fully understand yet. We don't quite get it. But we're willing to try it on, to live it as if, if you will. And we find that when we do that, okay, I'm just going to live this way for a while. I'm going to live as though it's wise It's wise to be careful of my speech, one of the things that the Buddha teaches. And if I live that way, let's, I'll see if, it, if things become better. And, and that becomes a place where the mind can relax a little. We can take in those teachings. We can trust them and try them for ourselves. You don't ever, in the Buddhist world, you're not encouraged to just trust them. You're always encouraged to try them for yourself. And the Buddha really stresses that, that it's very important to take those teachings and put them to work in your own life and see if it's true. Do they work or don't they? And, of course, as your trust deepens, as you find more and more often that these teachings work, then you trust them more deeply. And and again, a place where the mind relaxes and softens and opens. And then the third place is the sangha, or the community of beings who are um, awake, was the original meaning of fully enlightened beings. And now, um, in, the, in Asia, it's still understood the word sangha to be the community of monastic People, but here in the West, it's begun to be used as like this community. People often refer to the community here at Vipassana Santa Cruz as the Sangha, and so we are. We're a community of people who are working to wake up, who are doing our best to live in a way that is kind and compassionate and ethical. And you know, it's pretty exciting to be part of that kind of a community and. I know many, many people say to me, have said to me over the years how important it is that they can come here and they'll know that people are trying to be careful with their speech or trying not to be harming or whatever it is that particularly speaks to them. And, and I know, I also hear how much people appreciate being able to come and have, you know, it's like you come here frazzled at the end of your day and then 35 other people show up just to help you sit. And each one of us has that. I have that experience. It's like, you all came just to help me sit tonight. And it was really great that you did that. And my sitting was better because you were all here. It's very interesting how that works. I'm not quite sure, you know, what the mechanics of it are. But I do know that the gathered community is a very powerful being. And when I'm able to be present in it, then the mind also softens and relaxes and has more ease. I'm not alone. I mean, that's, that's a huge piece of it. So often, 
we begin to see ourselves as this little being who somehow has to fix it. And I hear questions a lot. You know, the world is so difficult. How can I possibly, how can one person change it? How can one person bring peace? Or how can one person end global warming? And of course the answer is, one person can't. We can't. But, when we begin to understand that we're part of a community and we support each other and, and, and act more and more as that community, interesting things happen. Thich Nhat Hanh says that perhaps the next Buddha will be a community, not one person. That's a very interesting thought. I don't know if it's true, but it's a very interesting thought to think that a community, an awakened community, what that would do in our world. I don't know whether the mind rests when you think about that. My mind starts getting a little excited. (laughs) But it's a nice place for the mind to be, that's for sure. So then, your own virtue. So, everybody for a moment pause and think about one really good ethical thing that you've done in the last two or three days. Just think about it. So I trust that everybody has one, maybe two or three. And just notice, is this something that you do very often? Do you remember to acknowledge that you've lived your life in a kind and ethical way, where you've done your best not to be harming to other beings? You know, the precepts of not harming, of not stealing, of being careful with your, and not harming with your sexuality or your speech, and then not intoxicating your body and mind. Now those are the five basic precepts. And many of us live by those precepts. Many of us say them every day, recite them as a way of reminding ourselves that this is very important. And sometimes, you know, if you're thinking about your practice and you think, oh, you know, my meditation not so good, or my mind has been wandering, or it's been mushy, or you know, I haven't had time to sit, and I haven't done a retreat, and I don't know how long, and I'm not going to the Sangha, and it's really terrible. And you can feel pretty discouraged. But actually, the place to look is at least as much as all of those things, is how are you living your life? Are you living your life in a way that is essentially within the precepts? And if that's true, you're not so far off base. Really important to see that. And that we can enjoy that place where we are careful with our lives, where we try to live in a careful way, a non-harming way, not harming ourselves as well as not harming anyone else or any other being. So then the other place, where we don't often think so much is our own generosity. And generosity, you know, generosity is the, one of the basic teachings of, of Buddhism, generosity and virtue, the practice of virtue and the practice of meditation. Those are the three areas. And generosity is the one in Asia that was always taught first. We have it kind of backwards here. We tend to teach meditation first. And then we, you know, then after you come to a meditation retreat, we talk about living your life carefully and generosity. But generosity in Asia comes first. 
And the teaching about generosity, and it's so true, is that you can taste it long after you do it. Long, long, long. And think about it. I have a couple of things, like one of my favorites is many, many years ago, I was sitting a long retreat at IMS in Massachusetts, and there were a couple of nuns, I don't know where they were from, maybe Vietnam, maybe Laos or Cambodia, who were at the retreat. And they sat and walked with us. But the really wonderful thing was that every morning at breakfast, after they, their food had, they got their food, they would chant. And they were right in the dining hall with all of us, all the clatter of, you know, a hundred and some odd people getting breakfast, toast, cooking, knives, forks, you know, all of that. And the chanting would begin and everybody would stop. It was just magical. It was so wonderful. It was such a a gift to us. So the time came for them to leave. And they were leaving before the retreat was out. And a little note showed up on the board that if you would like to make an offering to the nuns, they'll be leaving and here's how to do it. You put an envelope, give it in. So, you know, I went down to my room and, you know, when you're sitting a long retreat, which this one was, I don't know, six weeks or three months or something like that, you don't necessarily have a lot of cash because you're not going shopping, right? (laughs) But I went down and I rooted around and pulled out what I could and put it in an envelope and offered it to them. And, you know, so it, it was just one of those things that it felt so sweet to be able to be generous back to them for their great generosity to us at the retreat. So you all have those places, you know, the places where you've given some money to somebody on the street or you've written out the check or you've maybe stretched a little farther than, or maybe it's not generosity with resources, sometimes it's generosity with time and energy or space in your home or whatever. And so it's really, really important to tell those stories. There's a Native American tradition that reminds us to tell the good stories. You could each tell me, probably without any effort, a dozen stories of places where you've blown it. I'll bet you could, easily. And I've often seen it when someone will say, okay, I'd like to hear a couple, a few stories of generosity, and the room will sit there like, oh, did I, uh, uh. And, and we just forget, we don't tell it. You tell yourself, I tell myself the stories of where I've blown it over and over and over again. If I hear that I've done something, been wrong, and somebody finds me out or tells me or whatever, you know, I'll be beating myself up regularly for six weeks, but if I do something kind, you know, I may have forgotten it by tomorrow. I don't tell the story. And the understanding is tell yourself the story. It's a place where your mind will relax and open. It, you will meditate better. You will move on to more wise and kind acts in your life if you do that. So then the last place is the place that I think is kind of interesting. Because as Westerners, you know, like rest the mind with the devas, I mean, some people are comfortable with that. And I often, after I've talked about this, someone will come up and say, oh, I see devas all the time. Or, you know, I talk to the angels every night. Which is great if that happens for you. But it doesn't happen for everyone. 
So what does this mean? You know, how can we take in this teaching about Davis? And so I often think of this as a teaching about, you know, this just is not completely comprehensible to us, what's going on here. It's not. You know, we, we really don't know. You might remember last week, I have a small version so the small version, some of you in the front can see, and then I have a larger sort of pretend version. So this is the small version that I downloaded from the internet today. This is the MacArthur map of the world. So it might look a little odd to you, and if you are too far away to see it, here's another one that is... So this is what the MacArthur map of the world looks like, right? not your normal way of perceiving the world, right? Because here's the tip of Africa and here's Antarctica and down here is the North Pole, right? And who knows? Maybe that's the way it is. Maybe that's the top. But we've gone around thinking this is the top, right? This is the top. And these are the countries up here that really matter. You know? And those folks down there, you know, down under, right? Down under is what we said. Well, maybe we're down under. We don't know. And so this teaching about the devas is really an invitation to let the mind get really big. I was talking, may, may I quote you, Heidi, from our conversation before sure. dinner? Before dinner, before the sit. Um, Heidi said, so she's been making a mantra that sometimes um, when somebody says something to her that maybe they're right, or maybe she's wrong. And, you know, it's that place where we so often go, I'm right, I know how it is, this is the way, and the picture's really small. And I don't know, I mean, maybe even um, being wrong, maybe just even admitting that they might be a little bit right is the first place to begin to get a little bigger. That Maybe the picture, we don't know the whole picture. And maybe, you know, when you start really opening up that way, then there becomes a whole lot that maybe we don't know. And there is enormous freedom in not knowing. You know, when we think we know how everything is, it's very limiting and it's a huge burden. And a lot of things become very important and there's a lot of angst and, and struggle and conflict that comes out of separation and seeing oneself as isolated and seeing only a very, very small picture of what's going on. And when we let the picture get very big, like, and as I was talking a couple of weeks ago, you know, the images of nebulae and galaxies, and we begin to go, oh, there's so much going on. I have no idea where I fit in. But you know, it's really great. And I invite you to try it. You don't need to know where we fit in exactly. We don't need to know what's going on exactly. And if we let it be mysterious, and keep the mind open, sometimes all kinds of new possibilities come in. You know, Suzuki Roshi used to like to say that 
um, in the mind of the beginner there are many possibilities and in the mind of the expert there are few so that was he called his book you know Zen Mind Beginner's Mind and that really pointing to that place where having that mind that's just it's like a little kid you know who's seeing the world for the first time so that may be one last story so my husband came home the other night and he was in this place of being really deeply touched and he said he'd driven over the hill must have been Thursday, Tuesday night and there was a little bit of rain as he came over and then there was as he got down to Highway 1 there was this rainbow this vast huge rainbow. He said it filled the sky. It was the most amazing rainbow he thought he'd ever seen. And he was just blown away about it. And he said, you know, it's so precious. And and it's so important that we pay attention and we be present. Because when we do, then we see things like that. And I was I was happy to hear this story, and it reminded me so much of how people on retreat, when they've been sitting for a while, you know, sometimes you'll see them standing, staring, you know, and I always have to go over and look. And one time it was there was a little hole, and there was this little head that kept poking up from the hole. You know, it's a little gopher with. Then he'd see, you know, by then there were about six of us standing around, staring. And people just, you know, it's that place where we we just don't know, and then the wonder of it really comes in, and the mind relaxes and opens, and sees again in a new way, and perhaps sometimes more clearly. So that was fun. So I think I'll stop and see if there's any questions or comments or things that you know about places to rest the mind and we'll see where we go any further thoughts Diana and then Heidi um, this last week my daughter was on a family retreat and mm. and um you know, she's a teenager, and I'm a single parent, and, you know. A little bit louder, so that... It, it's a little difficult sometimes, you know, but, but we have a very close connection, but it's a small mind stuff, and I've been working so much this summer. I was really tired, I'm really looking forward to this retreat, and, you know, five days, and we got there, and um, had a little bite to eat, and started walking up the hill, and... I all Betsy Rose started singing playing the guitar <laughs> tears. Uh-huh. I just couldn't stop crying. It was like, you know, that awe of the gopha or the uh-huh. rainbow. I could just literally feel this hard casing around my heart to ward off anything when I was too tired, busy in this world, just starting to crack open. And every single day, when she would start singing, I would start crying. <laughs> yeah, but I, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, I, it's one of the things, it's actually interesting that Heidi's going to say her thing next, because I know we've talked about this, that there's not so much music in the Western Buddhist world yet. Betsy Rose is one of the few ones. So I want to 
put in the little story here and then we'll hear from Heidi, which was just at the end of the retreat I sat in June with Ajahn Sumedho. The last day of the retreat, the last full day of the retreat, was also the day that Spirit Rock had a benefit for Stephen and Andrea Levine. So, you know, I'd been sitting for 10 days, I was pretty quiet, I was out in the back walking, but it was the last day, so my awareness was kind of open, and I could hear that there was something going on in the lower area of Spirit Rock. And every now and then there'd be some voices, and then as I'm walking out behind the meditation hall, just so for those of you who've been there, you kind of can see the setting, all of a sudden I'm walking back and forth, and I hear... All you need is love. And they were that's what they were singing. And over and over again. And it was such an amazing, wonderful, touching. Mm. So Heidi, please. Well, I was thinking about the Davis and and for those of us that have difficulty with um, contemplating disembodied beings, I could I think we could also interpret that as Embodied beings that embody the qualities, uh-huh. you know, angelic qualities, you know, people that are heroes to us, or that maybe just in the last mm-hmm. few days we've experienced somebody being really beautiful, being very generous, being very kind, and and nice. to contemplate the devas among us can uh-huh. uh-huh. nice. be a really lovely, positive place to rest your mind. Devas, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Please. Um, you might have that. We're at this, uh, uh, no, not the beach, but there's a park right around the beach right next to the lighthouse. And so we were meditating during that rain, rainbow, or before the rainbow. Uh-huh. And it started to rain, and I'm like, oh my God, the Devas are raining on us because they're so happy that we're meditating. They're talking about that, you know, all meditation. We actually haven't sat there. Meditated, and then we're like walking back, and this freaking rainbow is like, and I'm like, thank you. So, tell your husband they can take us to the rainbow. So, thank you for the rainbow. Thank you for him. Anyone else? Please, one more. Well, I just had a little hit when you were showing that map about him, you know just about how much of our ideas, our views, are more habit than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I was, that led me on to another thought of, you know, many years ago traveling in India and, you know, being sort of in out-of-the-way places where I'd kind of be like stomping my foot saying, but this is how it should be. You know, when I rent a room, it should have clean sheets. And, you know, I mean, like getting into a real about stuff and like having you know 800 million Indian people with no um, not validating my point of view basically (laughs) (laughs) and that was really good actually Mm -hmm. and really because that kind of what you take to be true everything I took to be true and of universal value was really scrambled up well, you know, Trungpa Rinpoche, my great wild teacher, said, if you can't meditate, travel. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you have it. Okay. 
Maybe that's enough for tonight. Let me make a few announcements, then we'll do just a little bit of metta practice. Um, There is uh, a week from Monday night here um, a beginner's class that's going to be happening. Jason Murphy is teaching it. Some of you know him from his leading the Dharma Punks group that meets here on Sunday night. And it will be at 6.30 on Monday evenings, every Monday except for Labor Day. So if you or anyone you know would like a beginner's class, please feel free to come. And it it should be on the web. It may already be there. But if it isn't, it will be soon. And um, that's all there is to say about that. Also, um, there's a couple of flyers for events that are happening at the end of the month. And I'll just mention them. Um, there's on Sunday, August 31st, um, Marcy Reynolds is leading a day on Qigong and mindfulness. And then the following Sunday, on the 7th, she's leading again, along with Bob Stahl, on um, a day on the 32 parts of the body and Qigong. Um, so both of those things are happening. Um, there's also other flyers, a couple of things that Carla Brennan is doing that are not Vipassana Santa Cruz things, but uh, might be of interest. A wilderness retreat later this month is the, is the closest one that are also on the table. Um, I want to mention that several people have asked, am I doing the committed students group again this year? Yes, I am. Um, it's also about to be posted on the website, but I'll tell you, um, that it's going to be Tuesday evenings, one Tuesday a month, and they will be listed. It will be here, um, and it will be working with Jack Cornfield's new book called The Wise Heart, which is a book about Buddhist psychology. And um, it's for people who've had some experience, and that will be listed on the website. You have to have sat at least one um, week-long or 10-day retreat and been around the Vipassana scene for a while. So um, if that's you, or if you've been in a previous, of course, group, that would mean you're just fine to be in. And people will need to send me an email um, and let me know. And if you look for my uh, look on the website, you'll find my email address there. And then I also wanted to mention that um, Russell and I are going to teach another couples workshop um, the weekend of se- the 7th, 8th, and 9th of November. And so if that is interesting to you, I would like to hear from you one way or another. And there will be flyers for that coming along soon. That's all I have. Does anybody else have an announcement or have I forgotten anything? Please. I'm looking for a room to live in. Um, It would be great to find another conscious meditator to a central location. We say previous Spirit Rock staff person. What's that? I said previous spirit rock person. Um, I'm not, I'm not that picky, but... Um. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, John. Oh, yes, your um, website. Um, yeah, I'm, my name is John. I'm a uh, uh, graduate student at ITP in Palo Alto, and I'm doing a dissertation study on uh, insight meditation practice and its relationship with personality structure. And uh, so I'm looking for volunteers um, for the study. If people are uh, perhaps interested, it's um, a website-based study, so it doesn't take too much time. Um, it's about 15 minutes. There's two surveys that take about 15 to 20 minutes each. 
um, and then a demographics questionnaire. So I have, there's some flyers on the table uh, in orange over there if you're interested or you can talk to me afterwards. So thank you. Help Buddhism come to Western scholarly effort. Heidi, you had something? Well, uh, since there are some people that are new here, I just want to be sure that everybody understands how this place operates, what supports it, what supports this place and everything that happens here in the teachers is us. We're it. Um, so there are baskets out there in the entryway. There's also a sheet there that explains how our budget works and different ways that you can support both the center and Mary Grace and the other people that teach here. Please consider what would be a good way for you to take part, what would be a good share for you to take in this, and uh, take action. Thank you. Okay, so sitting just as you are would be fine, or any other comfortable way. Bring your attention back in, pull it back in from all of this conversation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.